Well, good morning. I'm sure you're excited. Uh, doesn't it seem just like uh, we turn the page on the calendar in November and like Thanksgiving was here, right? I know it's early this year, but um, what a great opportunity for us as a group of people to stop and say, God, thank you for the things that you're doing and for what you've done in our life. And so I'm going to ask you just to bow in prayer with me before we begin. Father in heaven, we do bow our heads before you and give you thanks. And I ask that in these moments when we once again look at this whole idea of what it means to love, to become vulnerable, to put ourselves out there and to at times pay a price that might cost everything. Help us to understand um, how you are in it and moving through us and how you um, yourself who gave everything to us that you would lead us to become models of that kind of love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On Wednesday morning, it was a few minutes after 9 a.m., and I received a phone call from a friend. I was here in the church, and I grabbed the phone to answer it, and the person said to me, Kevin, I'm sorry to bother you, but I noticed a pool outside your little garden house shed of water. And so I went and took a closer look, and water's gushing out the front door. And he concluded by saying, you may want to check it out. <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I probably should check it out. But I was just minutes from going into uh, a Wyzetta women's uh, Bible study, a morning group, where I was going to share for about a half hour. I was doing a Q&A with Tina Hoverson, and we have a team of people where we're starting a wellness initiative and talking about how we can, our bodies can bring glory to God and starting this in January. And I was thinking, I just, I can't forsake that. Uh, you know what? It's been going probably for a little bit. It's going to go for about a half hour longer or whatever it took. And on my way there to take care of this problem, I'm thinking the whole time of the fact that this has arisen at this point in my day and all these things that I'm going to have to cancel and forsake as a result of this crisis. You, ever, you had those experiences before you kind of you're, you're in your mind. You're going, OK, I got to call this. I got to do that. You know, it may be that what happens is there's some kind of emergency or or there's an illness that that is pretty dramatic that you have to leave things for the care of someone else. Or it could be you've gotten up in the morning and you have a day planned and you go to start your car and it doesn't turn and there's no battery charge. Right. You have those kind of experiences and and you're forced to change everything. Or maybe you get a summons from the court that says in the next two weeks you're going to be needed for a appearance as a juror in court. You have that? And you have to reprioritize. You take those things, set them aside, and put this in place of it. Often when I think of forsaking all, I think we think about the cost, we think about the crisis that forces us to do something. In some ways, we don't even have a choice of our will to do so. But what's interesting when you think about love, love is purely, it's a choice. It's the opportunity given to you to set aside things, and sometimes it costs you a whole lot. And sometimes you just willfully choose the cost. But often I think we get focused on just the cost side of it when we talk about forsaking all. We're in this series, Love Cost Everything. We talked about devotion last week and looked at that. This week we're talking about forsaking all. And if you read the scriptures, you, you come across and you begin to understand and see at times that people will forsake everything for something. 
and they choose to do it. I was thinking as we were, you know, back in May, some guys, you know, they came and they said, we want to do this truth out loud kind of idea where you read through the Bible. In fact, I was looking at things this week and the Internet, it popped up and one of the things that said, read through the Bible in a year. I just kind of laughed and thought we did it in three days. Um, anyway. And I remember going and thinking to myself, that's a huge cost. You know, how are we going to get a bunch of people and then 210 people sign up and and people, you know, who's going to get up at two in the morning and come to the church and read? And why would they want to do that? And uh, I didn't quite understand it. And I just looked at the cost. Until I actually was involved in it and began to see and as I came and and experienced the presence of God. And I think any person who was a part of it, in fact, as we were going on in the week, people were trying to find slots and no one would give them up to let them read. There was such a sense of God's presence and this whole Bible. And it's kind of funny. I thought to myself, I wonder how often in in this church or any church, in one sense, every chapter, every book, every chapter Every verse, every word of the Bible has been read. I don't think there's brownie points for that at all, but I think the thing that was really interesting about it was that somehow in this act of devotion, as people set aside and said, I'll come and I'll do this, there was a unique sense of God's presence in this community in people's lives. And on Wednesday night when people shared, they just like popcorn one after another got up and shared. Because in some way there was an encounter with God. There was a sense of God's presence that was just powerfully drawing that caused people to come up to me after and go, when are we going to do this again? When are we going to do this next year? And I'm thinking, uh, and didn't want to ask the guys who led it about it, but you know. But they encountered God. And it just drew people. Well, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this whole idea of forsaking all. And there's some scriptures in the Bible, a number of different ones. But one specifically that you can think of is the disciples encounter God in Jesus. They come into the presence of God in Jesus. Before them was someone they had dreamed about, someone who had been prophesied about, someone who they were well aware could come at any time and might come in their lifetime. And if this Jesus, the Messiah, God's anointed, would show up, This was the one who would lead in God's kingdom and his new um, way of life and all that would come with it. And if you have the opportunity to be one of his followers, if this anointed one said, I want you and would you come and would you follow? It didn't matter what you're doing, whether you were fishing or whether you're a tax collector or whatever it was. Something in you said, there's God in this person. And it wasn't just what you've been taught and what you've been dreaming about and what you heard prophesied. It was actually an encounter when they did with the living presence of God showing up. This God in man, Jesus. And it, it, it didn't take a whole lot of second thoughts, I don't think, for them to say, you know what? As it's, we read here in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is teaching. He's had some encounters already with Peter and Andrew and, and, and some of the and John and, and James, some of the other fishermen. They have just come in from fishing all night. The best time early in the morning to catch fish. They hadn't caught a thing. Their nets, 
They're broken and they need repair. They've been snagged on rocks. They didn't get anything. They're cleaning it. And Jesus is teaching over there and they're listening and they're just getting finished. They're wrapping up their nets. They're putting them away. Jesus is wrapping up his message. He gets done. He comes over and he says to these guys, hey, I want to go fishing. I'd like to go fishing. And Peter is the one who's bold enough. The rest of them are thinking it going, not a good time. The conditions aren't right. We just fished. It's mid-morning. Not a good time to go fishing. But Peter has sense enough because of who this person, and he goes, okay, and kind of thinks we'll take him out for a ride. Take him for a spin and bring him back. And Jesus gets in the boat, and he says, drop the nets. They drop the nets. And it says in chapter 5, verse 11, when Simon Peter saw this, and this is what he saw, that they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And as their nets were being filled with fish, they called over the other boat because they would go out usually in teams of two. And they called them over saying, the nets are just so full. We can't even get them in as we are. They're starting to break. The other boat comes over and the word of God tells us that they filled both boats so full, both boats so full of fish that they began to sink. And Peter falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, just go away from me. I'm a sinner. I, I can't even... Don't, there's no way I could be one of your followers. I can't even do the fishing thing. I can't even believe you for this. And Jesus looks at him and he says, don't be afraid. I, I'm not really about fishing, Peter. I'm really about changing your whole paradigm of life. Rather than trying to eke out a living by fishing, I want you to be a person who is a life giver and who uses your life to reach people, fish in that sense, to touch other people, to transform their lives through me. And Peter's, this is really new to him. This is so cool. This encounter with God. He would get up at two in the morning like we would get up at two in the morning because there was the presence of God. That's what drew him. And so we read, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. You read a little bit later in this chapter five, verses 27 through 28. After this, Jesus went out and as he was going his normal course of work, I'm sure he went through this tax collector's booth time and again, time and again. And this tax collector, this guy named Levi, later to be called Matthew, had this experience with the presence of God. He had no rabbi ever before go through and treat him with such respect and such kindness and such love. Most rabbis would just look at him, sneer and probably spit in the ground or have some, They didn't want anything to do with him. But this one was different. He looked him in the eye. He loved him. He cared about him. And so as he's going through the tax collector's booth again, it's, I'm sure Levi had heard him teach over in this direction. He probably had someone else run the tax collector booth and just listen from the outside going, I wish, I wish I could be a part of this. I wish I knew this love. And so at some point, Jesus is walking through the booth. He looks in the eye, he pays his tab and he goes, you know, what would you follow me? And it says in scripture that Levi sitting in his tax booth after Jesus said, follow me, got up, left everything, forsook it all. And he followed Jesus. And then as you read in this passage of Scripture, you read in Matthew a little bit later, chapter 19, you have this occasion where the disciples are really excited because they're growing and they're getting more followers. And there's a follower who comes up to him. He's the perfect candidate. He is the guy you want on your team. He's a leader. He's young. He's influential. He's made money. He's, he's, a, he's a leader in his religious community as well as his 
political community. This guy comes up and he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, I am a follower of the way of God and I have completed every one of the commandments. And he says, what else do I need to do? And Jesus looks at him and he puts the bar really high and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything. I want you to give it all. I want you to forsake it all and follow me. And it says he was kind of crestfallen. He looked away and Jesus was sad as this man walked away. And the disciples are looking at him going, I can't believe the best candidate in the world that's ever showed up here. And you've just set the bar so high. Couldn't have you just said, come in and follow us in a little bit as you go, maybe give it away. And Jesus, as they look at his disciples and he can see they're just they, they're kind of they don't get this. And he says, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's really hard for people who are self-dependent. They're, they're the ones who have all the resources. They can make their life happen. It's really hard for that kind of resourceful person to ever say, I'm going to give my whole life into your hands to let you lead and direct me. Because I'm the one who likes me in the driver's seat. Anybody like that? I'm like that. I'll be I'll be kind of like, you know, Jesus, you can sit here in the car. I'm going to be here. I'm going to drive this thing. And Jesus says, no, no, the following of me, that's not how it works. I don't give you directions and you kind of do what you want. You're going to sit here and I'm going to drive the car and I'm going to ask you to let it all go. And so as they hear this and they're going through this, the disciples hearing this go, then who can be saved? I mean, what person has the ability to do this and. Jesus looks at him and goes, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Take your eyes off yourself. Begin to start looking to me and I will begin to allow for you to let go of what needs to be let go of to be able to enter into this life of the kingdom that I'm calling you to. I love the way the message says it. The disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all, they ask. And Jesus looked hard at them and said, No chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you depend, trust, put yourself into God. And Peter answered him, here's what happens often in our life. We make some of you may be along the road, down the road. You've given up, you've forsaken, and then you begin to start asking yourself, is it worth it? And Peter answers, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Look at all the pain, the cost, the price. What's the reward? What's the what's the gain? What's in it for us? And Jesus looks at them and says, truly, here's the truth, guys. When he says truly, he's saying bank on this. This is more true than any other word you'll hear. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, and that's pretty inclusive, for my sake, catch us, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit along with that life eternal. And here's the great reversal. We don't quite understand this world. Many who are in the lead, who are first, will end up being last. Those who are self-resourceful and those who have lived this dependency have learned to follow him. Many who are in last are going to end up being first. And so what I really am excited about this morning is I've asked 
Joel to do an interview with Sherry and just to have Sherry share her story because Sherry is one of those unique stories. We don't see it much in our own culture, but Sherry has experienced this whole idea of forsaking all. And so I look forward to you, Sharon. Thanks, Sherry. Well, I need to say this for the people who would listen on iTunes or the video that is video that goes out on YouTube that um, our guest and I can't say her name and that was not recorded. So you didn't hear any of this um, due to the safety and protection. We're so grateful for all that you shared. But it's really amazing when you hear a story like that and you hear the fact that um, when Jesus says brothers, fathers, mothers, sisters, we don't in our culture, I don't think, understand the sense of community that people end up leaving when they follow Jesus and some of the things that it costs to follow Jesus. And, and we also get so caught up, I think, in some of the sense of when we talk about following Jesus, we get more caught up in this whole idea of our pain and look, I got to give up and do I got to do this? And, and really, love is really simple. I, I, you know, we kind of make it some big deal, but love is really this. It's, it's, it's learning to on your own home with your wife or with your husband, beginning to say, what is it love? What does it mean for me? What does it cost me right now to choose to be kind, to forgive? What does it cost me to be authentic and to be vulnerable right now? What does it cost me to really love someone? It'll always cost something. You, you have to forsake in a sense, often something that's self-centered. Because love is about putting yourself out there in a way that you express yourself and put yourself in a position where you could be hurt. And, and so often what happens is we get centered on the pain, and, and, and that'll happen in our lives. And, and at one point, Peter's asking that same question. I'm sure you've asked that same question. You know, kind of like Peter's looking at Jesus, and he kind of says, what's in it for me? I mean, you just told the best candidate in the world who looks like you could really do this thing that, you know what, you need to give everything. And, and this person walks away because they can't do that to follow you. And yet well, we gave up everything to follow you. What's in it for me? And Jesus, he has this a, a way of trying to put our eyes back on what's really significant and real. And, and it's really interesting when you read his response. He says, I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you have followed me. Um, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. In, in one sense, you've got to remember that Peter's still in his paradigm. They're still in their paradigm. They're thinking that Jesus is this earthly Messiah who will come and will overcome Rome, and he will set up his kingdom, and they're going to sit on the right and left. That's why they fought about that. And then there will be a bunch of other little thrones where they'll rule. And Jesus isn't responding to this. He's trying to get their eyes into the future. He's trying to say, you know what, even in this life, some people, as we've been talking about persecution, and we've looked at it um, in situations where a person actually gives up their life, he is saying this, you will gain much in this life. We will gain much. You will begin to have spiritual family. You will begin to take the very gifts that you've been given. Instead of giving them up, you're actually giving them back to God. That's really what Levi did. You know, in Levi, it says that he gave everything and followed him. And the next verse, it says that he held a huge banquet and he brought all his disreputable friends around him. At one point later in his life, Peter actually goes back to fishing. They gave it not up in the sense that it was completely given away. It was in this sense given back to God to be used as God wants him to do it. So in this life right now, one of the great things that happens is we, we give ourselves our lives and we say, God, here I am. I give this back to you. I'm going to be a manager and steward of all that you want me to do. And in that process, you begin to experience the joy of God's presence as he begins to lead your life. But, but he continually, as he goes through this, he's not talking merely about this life. 
He says, everyone who has left houses and brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. A hundred times as much. And will inherit eternal life. There is more than this life. This life is short. It is just a, a passing vapor. But what we give to him, he gives us so much in this life. And yet beyond that, he gives us life that we could never imagine. The word eternal is not just lots of years. The idea in the Greek means both quality and quantity. It will be beyond what you could imagine. The investment you make now, any pain that you have now, you will experience in so much gain, not just in this life, but you will experience if you just hold on this incredible gain. That's a hundred times what you could imagine. And, uh, Jesus is constantly pulling our eyes like the way he lived. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame in order that he would receive what was yet to come. And Paul seems to say the same thing. Forsake all now will hardly seem like anything compared to what will be. And he makes it so clear in Romans where he says, I consider that our present suffering, that which we give up, the cost, the everything now is not worth comparing to what we will someday see revealed in us. And I just want to call you to an eternal perspective. This life that you live, this learning how to love in the small, unnoticeable ways where you choose to say, God, empower me, drive my life, fill my life. What's my purpose? As we heard. What's your purpose? God has so much for you. I, I was reading the other day the story of Ronald Wayne. You ever heard of the name Ronald Wayne? He was one of the co-founders with Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs of Apple. He actually, Ronald Wayne was the guy who drew the first Apple logo and actually did the first Apple One manual. He had 10% of the company stock. But he, he didn't have an eye for what was to come. He had been hurt before. He didn't want to go through the pain of a startup and all the rest. And so at a certain point, he sold his 10% stock, the stake that he had in Apple, for a whopping $800. If he would have just seen what was out there, I'm not even saying to now, but if he would have even waited to now, you know that $800 is worth $58 billion. You are at a place right now where God might be calling you to step into a life with him that's just totally different than what you've ever experienced. You know it in your heart. You feel it in your chest. You feel the spirit of God saying, I have something for you. And it may be as small as a, a just choice to say, I'm going to begin to learn how to love in these small little ways where I work or whatever it is. And God is doing something in you and he's inviting you into it. And he's saying, guess what? It's not about now. It may hurt for a little bit. There may be some pain. Yes, you will be forsaking some things, but in the forsaking, there is this eternal gain a hundred times as much. Eight hundred bucks. You could have the eight hundred bucks now. Or you could follow God and move with his spirit and move into the places and draw near to him in this process and get the hundred times fifty eight billion. That's why I wonder right now. Why are all these books on heaven being published? Have you seen it? It's just amazing. All these books on heaven. Heaven is for real, about a little boy experiences heaven. To heaven and back by a spinal surgeon. Proof of heaven, a neurosurgeon's journey into the afterlife. My time in heaven. The boy who came back from heaven. 
Why all these things? And I wonder if God is calling his church right now, his people, he's calling you specifically to realize that there is this to come and the investment is so worth it. And those people who have those experiences again and again, you read their accounts. I've read a couple of the books. They will tell you it was almost impossible to come back here. Even a mother with children, knowing she had her children, it was so incredibly, powerfully rich, so abundant, so much beyond what she could ever imagine or think. And I think God is just saying to us, I really think he's saying to you, draw near, move close. I want you to experience all of this life. The pain you're considering, the cost is so so minimal. It's 800 bucks. And so where is God calling you? What's he saying to you? We, we chose when we moved into this that we wanted to spend the last number of minutes just worshiping God together. And so I'm going to ask Joel, would you lead us in that?